doesn't like. I'm Lizzie. And I'm B. And this is a podcast where normally we take Dad through some explorations of contemporary and modern art, but today we've got a bit of a twist, don't we, Dad? Yes, we do indeed, in celebration of upcoming Mother's Day. Yes, so we've picked a mother that we know, namely Mum, <laughs> who is joining us today. Hello, everyone. I'm Veronica. The delighted mother of Elizabeth and wife of Bede. With no adjective. <laughs> the wonderful Bede, the beautiful Bede. The adverse comparison has started already, but then I've been used to it for a long, long time. Yeah, there was quite a pause there before she figured out how to frame it. Well, you know, there's some... Being invited on this podcast is such an honour, but it's also a bit on a sliding scale of emotion, you know, sort of the excited feeling, but the nervous feeling of what is actually going to unfold. Are you suggesting Dad and I trick you? Quite possibly. (laughs) Well, Dad and I used to play a lot of tricks on you, like when you'd go out for dinner or something, and you'd come back and we'd have used your makeup to like paint bruises yes. on ourselves and lie groaning on the ground. I'd forgotten about that, but it, I remember it very clearly. So I walked in the door at Nanawal and yeah. Well, that was a lot of fun. You'd be very delighted with yourselves. And um, I'll be and I'd be delighted. <laughs> So what do you what who's your favorite artist? Perhaps you can give us a bit of a framework of your relationship to art and the kind of art that you like. Well, it's your art, darling. You should know that. Um and Daddy's cartoons. Um I love Monet. Monet, Monet, Monet. And yes, I'd love to walk through his gardens and yeah. Okay, well we're gonna be extending a bit beyond the realms of the gardens at Giovanni today I think so today we're gonna dad and I each gonna present a work to mum so that she can decide I guess which work she'd prefer as a Mother's Day present and dad and I have each made some preparations haven't we yes so do you want to kick off with your work yes so we can reveal the image to mum yes oh no man (laughs) That's just horrific and scary and not a little unkind. (laughs) Do you want to describe what you see? It's the most enormous rose spider. And I'm sorry to be non-ecologically correct, but some doom is definitely needed. Doom being... Uh, a gas <laughs> that's just frightening that just would give anybody nightmares what is the purpose so do you know who made this work do you recognize it at all no no i don't okay. I, I'm, I have seen it at some stage but yeah um so it's made by an artist named louise bourgeois and so she makes these uh spiders which as you say, they're enormous, they're monumental um, and quite menacing because of that. They're up to 30 feet high and made of <gasps> steel. And do you know what the title of this work is? No, Dad's just pointed to me. 
Mama. <laughs> you know, actually, when I looked at that, that body of the Eric Nida, and I thought, holy cow, that could store a lot of eggs. That was one of my first, my first thoughts. But I didn't actually realize that it was a female spider. Yeah, so it actually, in its body, in the sack under its body, it has 32 marble eggs. So it's a very uh, maternal spider looking after all those eggs. Mm. It's pretty revolting, isn't it? I mean, I, I think that although it's not for me to say, since it's not my day podcast, <laughs> I, I definitely exhaust a whole can of doom on this thing. Well, I remember once when I was a kid, you squashed some spider in the laundry and then it turned out it was pregnant and all those little baby spiders. <gasps> oh, that was horrible. I remember that. No, you yeah. were Oh, who was, was it? I? I remember one of you doing it. <laughs> I wouldn't have forgotten that. I remember that. That was just appalling. Yeah. So that that artwork that you've just shown me, I mean, it's on the one hand, it looks all delicate and and it's almost as if those legs look like delicate branches and, and the association with nature. And you know, I'm trying really hard here to have some sort of positive thought. But it's just... Um... I did hear in a panel discussion about art and ecology a while ago, someone say that, you know, we shouldn't kill the spiders in our house because, you know, why should it be our house, not the spider's house? I mean, it's their world. <laughs> uh, yeah, mum makes, yeah, makes a song and dance about loving nature and wanting to walk through the garden <laughs> on a journey until it really comes to it. Well, should I tell you something? When I was a very little girl and um, lived, our home was called Arbor Lane and we had an asbestos room and there would be this these really awful, awful spiders that would gather on the ceiling. But uh, And I used to play with my dolls and, and have tea parties. And I thought if I could just keep those spiders on my side or get them on my side, I would be safe. So the dolls and I would sing to the spiders in order to include them in the party. And in that way, they wouldn't descend on me. What's quite terrifying is that, I mean, they were living among asbestos. So if the asbestos hadn't killed them, obviously it just made them stronger, like the radioactive yeah. spider in um, Spider-Man. So... Yeah. yeah. I um, remember being really shocked that they... They included that terrible scene, well, I suppose they had to, in the Harry Potter film, to be faithful to the book, of that ghastly, gigantic spider who wrapped people in cocoons. And I just felt, for kids who saw that, how horrifying that must have been. Well, not much, uh, since you took me to see it. Maybe part Yeah, well, of I didn't know it was happening. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was very frightening. I don't... It's a horrible scene, that. Though. Anyway, this spider is a nice maternal spider. It's actually one of an addition of six, so you can see them all around the world. Uh, this one was created for the opening of the Tate Modern in 2000. And this series of spiders, um, Louise Bourgeois, started making them toward the end of her career in the 90s, and she actually continued making art until her death at 98 in 2010. Wow. 
That's inspiring. And this work was inspired indeed directly by her mother because <laughs> she explained that she chose the spider as a subject because its traits reminded her of her mother. She said, quote, she was deliberate, clever, patient, soothing, reasonable, dainty, subtle, indispensable, neat, and as useful as the spider. Oh, okay. And I know that you like tapestry. Yes, and weaving. <laughs> yes. So her parents, Louise Bourgeois' parents, had a tapestry restoration business. So all oh, this weaving and protecting was like a spider. And it was as a child that Louise Bourgeois learned to draw by illustrating scenes that were missing from the fabric. And her mother was in charge of this workshop. So her mother actually died when Louise was um, 21 from an illness, which some say was the Spanish flu. And the artist said that like spiders, my mother was very clever. Spiders are friendly presences that eat mosquitoes. We know that mosquitoes spread diseases and are therefore unwanted. So spiders are helpful and protective, just like my mother. Certainly a different spin on it all. <laughs> well, I remember because dad's dad had had malaria. Dad then That's convinced right. me that if I went to South Africa, I would get malaria too if I didn't use, you know, mosquito nets and stuff. And I only had a mosquito net in Canberra, which you, Mum, had turned into a fairy net with all these sequins and things. So it was very nice. But I was terrified being in South Africa not having a mosquito net. I actually remember that. Really? You know, be really. It, it's it's amazing that Lizzie's made it to adulthood. She sort of all intact. I'm sorry about all this trauma inflicted. I mean, this this um podcast or these podcasts have been a sort of what's the word? Almost a, cathartic. Yes, with Lizzie revealing all these things, like about the uh, atomic or the the nuclear fusion cyclometer between. Belgium, France, Germany, and Switzerland, and worrying about whether she'd make it to break and um, before the world blew up. So I'm really sorry, Coach <laughs> Facto, for having inflicted such trauma on you. Yeah, well, didn't you get in trouble a second time after that episode was yeah. released? I got in trouble 15 years ago for saying it the first time, and then when Mummy heard the podcast, she blamed me again for having done it. I think she used some choice words. Yes, yeah, so... Uh, very, very hurtful words. Speaking <laughs> well, of psychology, Jerry Garovoy, her, her longtime assistant, who's now president of her estate, said that the strength of Louise Bourgeois art derives from her ability to translate emotion into visual form. In delving into her psyche and the unconscious, Bourgeois revealed universal truths about the nature of desire, love, fear, and loneliness. So, I mean, you can see how the spider is very, it is threatening. I mean, it's very black and spindly, as you say, but it's so big that you can imagine standing under it. It's like a canopy. I mean, it's protective. It's legs spread out in that way is like an embrace. An embrace with, I don't know. I mean, what is, is it a loving embrace or a threatening embrace? I guess this is where we... Um... Where what you have to evaluate. I'd just be terrified of all those eggs. But you know what I want to say is, is that I feel that through your words and the descriptions of what the spider meant to her, that I could 
potentially warm towards it. But the point is one's got to hear those words to feel that. So why can't that artwork actually have been presented in a way that would somehow speak those words itself without them having to be written and spoken out? But to be fair, based on your initial reaction, did you <laughs> bother to get that far into the interpretation? I mean, this is what I mean. You know, it's a visual stimulus that you have to engage with. Yeah. Well, I'm having a very somatic reaction and I feel very tense <laughs> and in need of coffee or something. <laughs> I think you're on a losing streak here, Lizzie. I think I'm going to win easily. Well, wait, I have one more point to make, which will maybe remind Mum of my ongoing fidelity to her, my loyalty to her, because Louise Bourgeois also made another work called Destruction of the Father in 1974, symbolising the consumption of the patriarch at the family dinner table. That's not very nice. Well, you got to pick at some point, you know, which... Yeah, what does that look like? It was like a dinner table with sort of globular forms of latex-coated plaster bake on top under a uterine sort of red light. So the patriarchal <laughs> sitting at the dinner table was becoming feminine. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've been sort of subjected to the criticism and subordination throughout ever since you came along. I mean, you know, there's been constant um, downgrading of me in favour of you in Mummy's mind. And I think it's also been something that you have reciprocated to her because I remember once you wrote her a card, a birthday card, I think, and part of what was in it was, I think I love you just a little bit more than Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, at least I was, like, keeping her on her toes because I was saying, you know, just a little bit more, so keep up the good work. I had something to strive for. <laughs> yes. So, Mum, do you want to give us some thoughts on this work before we move on to Daz? I'd be interested to know how she constructed it, and, and given that it's so enormous in the process, and why there are 32 eggs in particular. But I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have warmth towards it. But then this is going to depend on, you know, my warmth towards the spider might shift once I've seen... <laughs> What daddy is going to show. Not that there's a competition, anybody. <laughs> I just, my love is expansive and ripples out to include them both. It is a competition. Dad and I both know that. <laughs> Dad, you want to present your piece? Yes. Well, my piece um, has got an Italian title, but I'll give the English one as, as is well. It, is it full of angles? Oh, no. It's called Triomphe de l'Amour which means the triumph of death. Tell us what you see in this picture, my love. Well, initially I saw beautiful colours and I thought, oh, is this a wonderful tapestry? But then I see the centre is actually a horse that has passed its prime. And I think death <laughs> is um, encouraging it onwards through the crowds. And I see in... What do I see? Do I see an archbishop? Yes. Underneath, 
Um, and what's sticking out from the archbishop? Is it an arrow? Yes. There seem to be arrows everywhere. Yeah. So, is it the death of the clergy? Well, it's it's yeah, it certainly is, and it's it's even broader than that. That this is actually a picture I saw um, because it's in Palermo. Oh wow! And it's got an interesting history. It was originally painted for the wall of a place called the Palazzo Sclafini around about 1450. No one knows who the name of the artist, and that's as close as one can get to the date. But the building was bombed in 1944, and in order to preserve the fresco, because that's what it is, this is a painting, it's, it's a fresco, the fresco was removed from its original location and oh. put in um, the regional gallery of Sicily. Now, I didn't know that you could remove a fresco, but there is a process whereby it can effectively be, by chemical methods, peeled off the wall. And there, there's several processes. The easiest right. was to actually just cut the panel out. That's what they've done here. Yeah, well, they've actually made a bit of a mess here because what they ended up doing was I don't know which of the methods they used here, the cutting off or the peeling, but whatever happened, it's ended up with four creases along it. Mm. And and it's very, very obvious that it's it's been damaged. So this this type of picture was very common in the Middle Ages, and it shows the triumph of death, who is probably represents one of the plagues. Uh, going through society and striking down people of all levels of society, bishops, a pope, an emperor, a sultan, and I was very shocked to read even a lawyer. Oh, no. Which is just awful, I think. But I don't see sort of many um, other than upper classes that are more represented here. Yes, there are some ordinary people towards the left, and but it is, I suppose, mainly directed towards the upper classes but the interesting yeah, I mean, thing lawyers is... undoubtedly belonged to the upper classes <laughs> <laughs> i think so and you know the, so death is wielding he's just fired an arrow from his bow and he's also got a scythe attached to his saddle and the interesting thing is is that the people below him who he's passed over he's already killed Okay. The people on the right are unaware of his approach. Right. And they're still, you know, mm-hmm. listening to music and having a party in a garden. And it's really menacing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's very shocking. And one other point before I'll, I'll ask your opinion is that that figure of the horse inspired Picasso in his painting Guernica because the horse there has got that same angular design oh. to it as as the the horse in the large mural. So you can see how the influence has permeated down through the centuries. Don't you hate Picasso? Yeah, I do. I, I wouldn't say that I would hang this <laughs> on our wall, but then it's not for me to say this. Uh, this uh, now, uh, that won't be going up on our wall either. Okay, well, that's... I think I prefer... What is the, the um, triumph of death? The triumph of death, the first one over Picasso. Okay, uh, and an interesting thing is, is that although we don't know the artist's name, if one uh, magnifies the image, the 
artist himself is depicted on the left. He's holding a, a brush, which is very difficult to see, but he's looking directly oh. at the audience, and that oh. is the artist. So is he trying to say you next? Could well be. Now I'm interested to see that there's a dog in the uppermost part of the painting, the left-hand side. Is that means that I'm going to interpret that as dogs have beautiful souls and live forever and escape death. Well, let, let's hope so. Um, and it's it's as I say, this was very common and. The bubonic plague recurred constantly in Europe in the Middle oh, Ages. Oh, is the dog there because of fleas then? <laughs> I don't know, maybe. I don't think they knew about the fleas. They thought it was rats. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. But, okay. Um, so the, there are other depictions of death like this. There's one by the famous Flemish artist Bruegel. And what the message behind these pictures was that death is coming so you better repent now first of all what do you think of the picture i thought you were going to say first of all what do you need to repent for <laughs> <laughs> um you know it's very unsettling and yet we know uncertainty is and and living well around uncertainty is the major part of life so I think um, I would just have to lift my eyes in this painting and look at the trees and the dog and I think not look at the centre of the painting at all. But aren't you like those fine people on the right side, you know, who are just having a ball of a time, ignoring death, living, living fast and not repenting for their sins? Yeah, I mean, I guess what I'd like to know from you is if you were a person who was what, looking at this yes. and you'd seen, you know, your neighbour struck down, would the would this picture make you behave better? <laughs> or, <laughs> well, is that wanting to hang this now so as, as an inspiration? <laughs> or would it, make you, would it make you live with abandon? I mean, would the psychological uh -huh. message permeate or would you just say oh well I could be dead tomorrow so I'm going to have a rip-roaring evening <laughs> I don't know I'm, I'm I can't um so you're experiencing a moral crisis here <laughs> that's what it is I'm, I'm trying to think how can you have that rip-roaring evening but then you could end gently and peacefully <laughs> well i mean that's that's just that's even worse i mean what you're doing here is you're saying oh, i'm going to be good until 4 a.m and then i'll repent What's i think that? we're getting the mummy's character here yeah who said the um god make me good but not yet uh, saint augustine of hippo yeah, yeah. this oh, is really? mum's approach to morality oh. yeah I'll have a rip-roaring evening, then at the last minute, just before death comes with a scythe. Maybe I need to sit down and do some sincere reflections and um, think on these things. Well, look, if I can't reach you through an appeal to morality, maybe I can make a professional appeal to you because uh, you were trained originally as a nurse. Yes. You were very good 
nurse and uh you know you you you're constantly telling me to wash my hands <laughs> so isn't this really a piece of art a, a wonderful public health message to people don't get sick or you know watch out if the plague gets you and so you should really applaud it maybe this should be on the notice board of hospitals it would be quite a good picture to have in some quiet little corner in a hospital but yeah I thought you were going to then turn to um, growth mindset and say have a good life but not yet this death is coming or something you were going to try and change that well the slogan could be death is coming but not yet (laughs) (laughs) I'm not dead yet (laughs) like that um Pollyanna the movie the pastor or reverend whatever gives that sermon and you know it's before oh, yes. Diana makes them all happy and it starts with it's one of your favorite sentences dad go ahead yes death comes unexpectedly and all the people are quivering in the pews and having this terrible doom-laden sermon given to them yeah and i mean that's certainly what i thought when i thought i was going to get malaria going to south africa so that was always with you and would have protected you yeah, like a spider from the mosquitoes. So my picture mm. is actually the accurate one. It's a very, it would have been very horrifying, I think, to people in that era yeah. and the terrible immediacy of it because this wasn't a hypothetical mm. uh, threat or fear, but it was it was one that was directly uh, relevant to their lives. So it would have been horrifying. I don't know where the horrifying public health campaigns are at the end of the day, useful or just breed resentment in the audience. Because um, even if you think of it in terms of neuroscience and you elevating fear and you're just going to cause the amygdala to take over and the prefrontal cortex to stop thinking, so it's going to be shut down, so it's not going to be very helpful. But I find that the painter looking out at us all very disconcerting. It's almost that he has the most power because he could be easily painting your face and whether it goes to the left or the right or beneath the horse would depend on your point of favor Mm. and i i think it tells us something about the observational skills of people many of whom may not be literate in that it it i i had to read an explanation of the art to even notice that he was looking out and yet he obviously thought that was yes he obviously thought that that was sufficiently blatant for viewers so perhaps viewers in the middle ages um paid greater attention and really really analyzed what they were seeing but wouldn't they have anywhere because with all the art and churches and stained glass windows i mean art people didn't have access to education so the story was done given through art forms oh yes Uh, in fact it's probably the most wonderful work of art i've ever seen uh is was also in palermo it's called the mosaics in the palatine chapel and this chapel had been built in the 1200s i think and i've got a wonderful book with photographs and it was every single surface was covered in mosaic the pillars were covered in mosaics, all representing stories from the Gospels, which would have been used by priests in as 
artistic aids in giving their sermons. So yeah, definitely the case. Yeah. Well, on the note of Dad's moralistic message, you know, this is why we're <laughs> destruction of the father. Uh, Mom, which which work do you think you'd prefer? You know, I'd have to say. Death, laugh, death, laugh. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to have to go with the spider. Yes. Because all about oh, procreation God. and hope. And, yeah. I, I was really sure that I was going to win. Do you know that? Mm-hmm. I thought that the spider was so ghastly. I was going to try and appeal to the public health dimension of my picture, the moral dimension, and yet Lizzie wins again. <laughs> you think you'd have learned after 26 years. Oh, I think so, <laughs> yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, we thought, that... I thought about both of them. We're going to have to no, do a little bit of press. You can't moderate your message now. I've won. You... <laughs> <laughs> we thought that you could share some maternal advice with us, maybe on the note of public health, since we've been talking about that so much. And it's one of your top tips. One of my top tips, what about my advice of not putting a drink cup on the floor in cinemas? Yeah. You and Daddy like to really (laughs) laugh and laugh about this, but you don't realise germs are all around. Yeah, but germs cannot, if there is a germ on the carpet of the cinema, it can't climb up the cup, climb up the straw, and then get into the straw. They just don't have little legs like that. This is we need to just because we'd go to Hoyts in Belconnen to the cinema, and you yeah. know we've just been waiting for the movie to start in the foyer. We Dad and I would put our cups of Coke down on the floor, and Mum would pick that up. Don't put that on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> there are germs. All these little armies of germs walking up the side of the cup, up the straw, into the. There's far more on the floor from shoes which have been who knows where. Yeah, but Mom, on the basis of your theory, if we're holding the cup, couldn't the germs walk up the carpet, up our bodies, over our hands, into the cup? Yes, but they've got further to go and you would have drunk some first. (laughs) (laughs) Before they got there. (laughs) I'm not entirely sure about the science of this advice, but I guess that's similar to the fresco. Not sure how based in science it was either. Yeah, well, anyway, Mummy's remembered her advice, so I guess we'll have to we'll have to follow it when we go to the movies. Yeah, well, not on the basis of empirical evidence, but just to avoid her wrath. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyway, we're so glad that you could. Um, well, I'm especially glad that you could join us for this one. <laughs> Artwork one, um, and we're sure the audience is as well. So that's the end of our episode for this week. And we hope you'll all be able to join us again next week. Um, As always, you can find us on Instagram at ArtDadPod. And if you'd like to rate or review our podcast wherever you listen to us, that would be great. If only to celebrate mum, if you prefer her to dad or I. If you love her just a little bit more, then you can love us. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm honoured and love you both always and always. It's been great fun. We love you too. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers listening and we will see you next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.